Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You're very welcome whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here from the very beginning. You join us today as I just slot in a few bonus episodes, a short bonus season of 12 episodes between the main Bible Project podcast. We finished off the book of Leviticus. I'm going to be launching off into the Gospel of Luke in a couple of days. But just to give myself a bit more preparation time, I'm making this short season available, something that was previously only available to my patrons and on my LinkedIn page this episode. It's all about preparation. So I do hope you find it helpful, particularly if you're called to this type of ministry, to preaching or to Bible teaching, or maybe it might encourage you to begin your journey on that process. So thank you for joining me, and I do hope you find these extra bonus episodes helpful and encouraging. Bye-bye for now. for a rabbit dish began with the instructions first catch a rabbit. In order to preach the word speakers must first understand the message of the word so that they can put that message in the form of a speech usually written down which will form a sermon, a lesson. And this requires preparation. It requires the preparation of the biblical text and the information around it. The following procedure is one that I use for preparing an individual or even a series of expository messages when I work through an entire book of the Bible, which has been my main preaching focus for these last few years. But it's also useful as a method of preparing a single passage for exposition for a sermon. Even maybe a verse or even a topical message can still be approached in this way. The topical exposition requires applying the method to every book where the topic appears, otherwise you're in danger of drawing out any texts out of context. In other words, that would tell me that topical messages, if you're jumping across and pulling in lots of scriptures from different places, they will demand more time given over to study because each reference to the topic must be studied in the context that it was written and and made sure it doesn't get misapplied. So the beginning point for me is always to survey the historical background into which the book was written and who received it. And the place to start with is with the background to the book. So before I launch off on a series working through a book, I actually make sure I read the whole book first. And I also read around the book to determine the immediate historical situation that it's addressing. As you do that, it's important to try and read and determine who wrote the book and to whom it was written. Special consideration needs to be given to the conditions and the circumstances of the recipients, the people that the writer was being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write through. In many cases, this is the key to understanding a book of the Bible. The key is to understand the background of the recipients. For example, to understand the backdrop of Galatians, see Galatians 3, 2, 4, 10, 5, 2, 6, 12, 
And as you read that, ask yourself, what is the subject of the book and why was it written? Also, it's really useful to read some sources. Read a reference Bible, read a commentary, read a Bible dictionary. The introduction to books of the Bible and commentaries are particularly useful as they confirm things for you and can give you conclusions and also give you pointers on how, where you can gather further insights. From these reference points, you can determine when the book was written, where it was written, and most importantly, to whom. Particularly useful for me, particularly when approaching a longer series of studies, as I try initially to write a one-page summary, a one-page sermon outline that should answer the questions of who wrote it, who received it, especially the background historical conditions into which it was received, when it was written, where it was written, in other words, sometimes from where to where can be important, and what it was written about. Try and figure out what is the subject of the entire book and why was it written. Now, as part of my theological studies way back in the early 1990s, I was asked to do this for all of the 66 books of the Bible, and that has stood me in really good stead. And I repeatedly returned to that over the years. In fact, my series of podcasts I did a few years ago called 66 Books was a series of 66 eight-minute podcasts, which I used those resources of giving an overview of each and every book of the Bible. And it also formed the Introduction to the Bible Project podcast, which is the main ministry that I'm involved in now. Having done that, having created your overview Perhaps maybe even if it's just a single a single message to create your outline of that, then it is useful to divide the overall book of the Bible into its units, its literary units, if you like. See, all na literature naturally falls into sections, but there are, of course, different types of units depending on the on which type of literature it is. You see, the historical books of the Bible they would tend to consist of individual narratives which are often divided by chapters. Joshua is an example. And the chapter divisions that are used, you can sort of piggyback on the people who've gone before you because in the, particularly in the historical books, they're usually pretty accurate and, and helpful. Epistles now, we look at them slightly differently. The epistles were an early form of a letter. In the New Testament, the epistles consisted, when we look in our New Testaments, we see they consist of paragraphs. Paul's epistles are, for example, they're examples of epistles, but there are, which were written to mainly to specific places. But there are also what are called general epistles, letters that, that are written for everybody's benefit, such as James. Now, it's worth noting that there were no original paragraphs in the original manuscripts of the New Testament. All these paragraphs were man-made. Modern translations came along later and divided the text into what translators perceived to be the proper paragraphing to help people who approach texts from that, that way naturally at that time, as we do today, that that was, uh, would, would help them in approaching the text. So consequently, you will see that paragraph divisions differ from one translation to another. Natural paragraph divisions, not forced ones, are sometimes part of the construction of the original book like in the Psalms, but are not used, they've had to be developed, the, the paragraph divisions have come along later with the likes of the epistles. So dividing a book into its natural literary units can give the student a bird's eye view of the book. 
rather as uh, someone called Robinson rather appealingly described better than a worm's eye view. So having done that, it's really useful to have an outline of each unit, an outline, an overview of the book in your mind. Determine the structure of each unit and there are a number of ways you can do that. You know, when you can approach, say, that that gives you a framework in your mind when you can approach a book like the book of Genesis and say it's creation, fall, flood and Babel, then the, the patriarch histories, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the story of Joseph and his brothers and going into Egypt and then the restoration of the family and the death and the end of that patriarchal prehistory period. So right away from having done that in the past, I have that framework locked in my mind. And because I've done that preparation, it pretty much stays there for me for certainly most, not not every, but most of, of the books of the Bible. I'm able to, to get that bird's eye helicopter view of all of them anytime I need to. And that's what you're doing by doing that. You're actually finding the literary structure of each and every book of the Bible, implanting it in your mind, and then from that you can sort of pan out and take an overview perhaps even of the whole Bible. But by finding the literary structure and framing it in, in your mind, and the best way to do that is to put it down on paper, within each literary structure there will be the author structure and the author subject, and that will usually revolve around something more specific. So here are some of the examples of how I believe these are not you know dogmatic but i believe the authors have tended to structure their books as they've written them nehemiah seems to focus on places the psalms focuses on people or the relationships between people and you could also say that of the letters like colossians and titus books like ezra and maybe also you could argue nehemiah seem to focus on particular points in time that's a more traditional Western approach is how we still tend to approach narrative stories today. Whereas a book like Colossians, it seems to divide up into the various commands and guidelines that God has given us. Sometimes a book's literary uh, divisions and structure will be signal signposts by the repetition of a phrase. Like in 1 John or in Judges or to a great extent in Genesis where we have this re- phrase this is the generation of this is the story of they mark points and changes important points in the narrative story the psalms also will uh, will sometimes be divided up into groups of psalms that deal with subjects matthew's gospel account very much focuses on activities events in the life of christ the big important events through that narrative story whereas like the old testament book of daniel its division, division tends to follow along different questions that are being asked within the story or by the people and the, the revelation of the answers to those questions. And then there are sometimes books like 1 Thessalonians, which deals with explanations of issues or things that are troubling the local church at that time that are being addressed one explanation after other. But it's very important that when we take the helicopter view of these books and we approach them, we need to make sure we can separate the major ideas from the minor ideas. A passage of scripture will often consist of a series of ideas. 
And some of those ideas are the major concept itself or supportive of the major concept. And others of them are just minor ideas which are sort of wrapping around the major point. So we need to re- really have a, a handle on understanding what are the major points of a passage and which points are those that are written to support that major point. Let me illustrate by using Psalm 19 as an example. The major points of Psalm 19 are in verse 1, the world reveals the glory of God, we are told. And then in verse 7, we're told the word reveals God's plan. And then in chapter 19, verse 12, it tells us the need to please God. All these other verses, I would argue and suggest, support these three main points. So if I was preparing a sermon on Psalm 19, I would probably divide it up into these three main points. And from that, I would construct an outline. Now, there are different types of outlines that you can provide, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. But probably the best one for communication purposes is to instruct an interpretive outline. In other words, to follow the order and content of the passage in its headings and its subheadings. At the same time, that interprets the meaning of the passage as you go along, and then you can try and add on the benefit of giving its significance to today. Another outline you can do is a textual outline. A textual outline uses the words of the text, and an outline should interpret the text and not just repeat the words of the text. A textual outline of Matthew 28, 19 to 20 would look like this. Jesus is talking about all authority has been given to me, and then he talks about the command is to make disciples of all nations, and you can subdivide that into by going, baptizing, and teaching. And then we come back to a sort of the conclusion, lo, I am with you always. Now, you can actually get pre-made sermon outlines. Spurgeons are very good. I got a, a one-page, probably 250 words outline of each and every chapter of the book. Another type of outline is a literally analytical outline, if you like. This analysis outlines the literature But an outline of this way, we need to always remember and bear in mind that we should not only just analyse the literature of the text, we should interpret it against the main meaning, what the writer is really trying to say. Now, such an outline, again, of Matthew 28, 19, would say something like, if you were doing a three-point sermon, as you could say, there's a declaration made, a command given, and then a promise offered and then your point could be to draw that all together and how that promise might be received. Now, an interpretive outline outlines the interpret of the content of the unit as it applies for these days. For an example, an interpretive outline of the same text from Matthew would be uh, as follows. The authority of the commission comes from Jesus Christ. The task of the commission is to make disciples. Then you could maybe break that up into three steps of what the making disciple process is. Step one is the initiation, the call. Step two, the identification. And step three, discipleship process itself. Again, coming back to the, by the studying of the word of God. You see, the power of the commission is the call that's found within the spiritual person of Christ. Each point in the outline then can be just a single sentence that keeps it within the the literary unit and contains the whole thing in an idea 
a single idea that can be presented as a message and it doesn't overly break down into fragments. But whatever methods you use to create your initial outline, the next step is to explain in detail the message of the passage. Now, when done thoroughly, this can be a lengthy and complex process, which will examine every sentence, clause, phrase, word. We need to, to put a caveat in here. Not every single word of scripture are of equal significance. The object is to be able to explain the overall message by pulling it out of the detail of the passage. Study the passage yourself, but read around, look at commentaries, read several different commentaries. In the old days, I had hundreds, probably, I thought, uh, if I go back 20 years ago, I probably had nearly a thousand Bible study books, commentaries, but I've actually been able to pass those on to a great many other people because now I subscribe to various uh, software packages like Bible Gateway and other, which enables me to access all these commentaries. The beauty of it is as well, if I want to quote one, instead of having to type out the text long hand, I now am able to cut and paste it in, italicize it and immediately make it a reference without having to do that sort of physical work manually. So I've got access to many more biblical resources than I've ever had in the past through the internet and the speed at which I can incorporate them and credit them, reference them properly into my work has become so much easier. And finally, let's just remember that at some point we need to summarize what we say, summarize each passage. The message of each literary unit in scripture if we're approaching it in order to create a sermon, can be summarised often in one sentence. That is the best thing then, because that means we know that the message will have a main thesis. In order to construct the message, several critical questions will need to be asked and answered in our own mind before we can decide what that main message is, which is why I said I often don't come up with a title of a sermon until I've actually completed the thing. But the questions that we need to sit at the end of this process with something approaching the text of a sermon in front of us is to say, what is the subject? The subject is the answer to the question. If someone was to ask you, what is this author talking about? Whatever you answer is, is the subject of the passage. And if you can't answer that question, you need to go back in again, dig a little deeper so you can answer that question. Now, there are usual several topics, several subjects in the scripture, and some are subordinate to others. But there's always one main subject to which everything else is related. It doesn't matter if you're doing a longer series that you break it down into those subordinate sections and focus on each of those for a while, as long as you pull the whole thing together and don't allow it to come disconnected from the main message. For example, let's suppose the subject of a book or a chapter, or a passage, is sin. But the question you then need to ask is, what is the focused subject? The common pitfall is to assume that a passage, that the subject will be so tight and so focused that you can sum that subject up in a single word. A single word is rarely, if ever, itself able to convey a whole subject. It's tempting to say, for example, that the subject of a particular passage is sin, but no one paragraph will cover all the aspects of sin, including its definition, its history, the biblical history, its causes, its results, 
its cure, etc. The subject of the literary unit needs to be narrowed down and to such a state where we can state it in a concise paragraph, perhaps, clearly and accurately as possible. But the subject can never just be the one word. By the time it is extrapolated out, it should be a message that is talking about if it's just going to be sin and those component parts that I talked about, but more likely you're going to think about the subject you're going to speak of as something like the result of sin or the solution to sin. So it's important to know what the author is saying about this focused subject. You know, on occasion you can say the focused subject is a single word, but the author is trying to say something about it. And it's that something about it and the meaning of it is what we are trying to apply, I believe, in expository preaching. Once the subject can be narrowed down into that short phrase or uh, there's a word for it, an academic work, where you produce a, a little paragraph at the start of a thesis. I can't remember what it is now, but this is the biblical equipment of it. Once we've got to the point where we've completed that summary phrase, this can be made into a complete a thesis of the message. If the subject is not able to be completed and explained fully, then that, my friends, is not a complete message. It shouldn't be something that's left hanging, that's left open-ended without some answers. The, the focused subject may be the result of sin. The message could be the result of sin is death. But within that, then there should be also something that says something about the solution to sin. The message would then be three points in this case. The result of sin is death, the solution to sin, and the message would be the solution to the sin, of course, from a biblical perspective, is the blood of Jesus Christ. If we take 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 11, many hold that up as a, a wonderful example and explanation of the gospel, which it is. In the opening verse, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel, so he's there, he's telling us straight away what he's going to talk about. Then follows a series of phrases describing the gospel and what it is. Beginning at verse 3 through to the end of the passage, Paul reveals as much as he can about the content of the, of the gospel. So the focus subject revealed at the start is the gospel, but the message then expands out to be the content of the gospel, the thing by which we are saved. The message of the paragraph is the content of the gospel by which we are saved is the fact that Christ died from our sins and rose for the dead. So again, friends, when we come back to the preparation of a message, we are trying to explain what a author inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he actually really said at the time he wrote it. The passage, the chapter will have its context and it sits within the larger part of the book in which it is found and in order to get at the context of that unit we need to say what did the author say here and why did he say it and asking that question will not only reveal the content of the individual passage that we're looking at it may also draw out and extrapolate maybe even change your idea of what you thought the original message was about as an illustration, again, using 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11, the subject of the passage seems to be the gospel. In verse 1, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel. Then he begins adding on these phrases, as I said, giving the content, narrowing it down, narrowing it down to the fact that it is the, that Christ died for our sins and rose for dead is the solution. But the solution, of course, is the resurrection from the dead. 
So Paul is not separating the gospel out and talking about it in isolation. He's talking about the gospel and how its culmination, its high point, its delivery point is the resurrection of Jesus himself. And when that fact is taken into consideration, we can see that 1 Corinthians is really in whole, those first 11 verses are trying to say, one of the great proofs for the resurrection is the gospel itself. The fact that Jesus Christ dies for our sin and rose through dead and people are being saved and one can say are still being saved today by it is the greatest proof of all of the resurrection of Jesus. So in summary, in order to determine the biblical message, we need to first survey the background of the biblical book, divide it into its natural literary units, outline each unit, explain the detail in light of the contents, and summarize each paragraph in a single summary sentence. That is determining the message of the passage in order to create your message. In order to prepare an effective biblical message, you must first have an idea of what the message is, a summary statement of what that message is. That may not be reached to the end of the progress of the sermon preparation, but if you don't have it and you haven't reached that point and you can't draw a title out of it, then you need to go back and do some more work, friends. But then if you get to that point and the study of the passage is complete, the message itself needs to be prepared. At which point you need to analyze the audience you will be delivering it to, who you're going to be speaking to. And we look at that in the next episode.